Good morning, everyone. Welcome back. I'm Rick Brown. Thank you for joining us on today's Seek First podcast, where we share biblical truth and engage in today's culture. Take a minute to subscribe to the Seek First podcast. Thanks, everyone. Stick around. I think you're going to be encouraged. Spending time with the Lord will be the best part of your day. So let's get ready. Grab your Bible, prepare your heart and mind. Let's go. Hey, well, we're going through the Anchored in the Word series. And if you have a Bible, you're going to want to make your way to Acts chapter 14. If you don't have a Bible, our servants team, raise your hand. They'll get you a Bible and you'll be able to open up there. Acts chapter 14 for our message, Explosive Impact. Now, we've looked at this explosive power in the church in Acts chapter uh, 2. We've looked at the explosive boldness in Acts chapter 4 as they prayed for boldness. We've looked at the explosive calling as Paul and Saul and Barnabas are called to go on the first uh, epic missionary journey, and we conclude that journey in chapter 14 here, and now we look at explosive impact, because when the gospel comes to town, it has an impact on that community. I planted a couple of churches and uh, was a part of a church plant when I first got saved, And, and all three of these communities where these churches were birthed it began to have an impact in a greater way in the community. People are talking about it, the scuttles going through. I had received Christ in February of 1984, and um, that summer in July, there was a Christian concert at this Calvary Chapel. They had just taken over the old roller skating rink, which used to be the radio rendezvous in my hometown. Now, my mom uh, grew up going to these dances at the radio rendezvous. Then it became a roller skating rink, and then Tammy and I, as kids, we grew up roller skating there. Tammy broke her arm there when she was 12 years old. And so we have all this history. And now this church has taken over the roller rink. Now what's that going to be like? You mean there's a church in our old roller rink? And so we heard about it and my uh, bull riding friends and I, we started going to this church. And it was, they just sang three or four worship songs and they taught the Bible and it began to change our world. But very quickly, the news spread because, you see, people were going to church there dressed very casually. They weren't in suit and ties. And they were so casual, many people had moved to Idaho, our neck of the woods from California, and they would show up in the summertime in a pair of shorts and flip-flops to church on Sunday morning. Oh, my. Now, that's shocking for small-town Idaho. So we had been going there for a few months, and one of my friends who actually just recently saw, (laughs) he said, I heard you're going to that cult. And I said, a cult? I I said, why is Calvary Chapel a cult? They just sing worship songs to Jesus and teach from the Bible verse by verse. Why is it a cult? I, I didn't know anything. I was a brand new Christian. I'd been saved maybe six months. He said, because people wear shorts on Sunday morning. And I, I was waiting for the other, like, and that was it. They wore shorts and flip-flops, and therefore they were a cult. And I laughed. My friend's name was Randy. I laughed. I said, Randy, you're going to have to come up with something better than shorts and flip-flops to tell me that this is a cult we're going to. And that church began to grow, and the word began to spread. And those were the kind of false rumors that were going on. This cult that's taken over the roller, the, the roller rink. And they didn't have any chairs. They didn't have any money. And so... Uh, when they got the building, it was wintertime, and so at our city park, they would put these outside benches for the summer concert series, and they have to store them. And so they went to the city and said, why don't you store the benches? (laughs) 
in the roller rink this winter. <laughs> and so they stored them in there so that we could use them for church. But in the midst of that, there was just supernatural things going on in the work of the Holy Spirit. You see, the pastor was, uh, had an appointment to find a bigger building. They were meeting in this very small building. And right before he left, he's getting ready to drive out of the church's parking lot where they were currently renting. And a sister in the Lord pulled into the parking lot and she said, Pastor, she said, I woke up this morning and I had this, this vision. We've been praying for months now for a bigger building for our church. And she said, Pastor, I just had this vision this morning. You're going to go see a building today, and it's going to, the walls are going to be lined with doors, and you'll know it's the Lord. Well, he had never been in the roller rink. He was from Whittier, California. And he walked into the roller rink, and down both sides of the entire room were doors. They were storage doors for the, you know, tables and chairs for the rendezvous. And he knew that it was the Lord, though it seemed too big to be actually possible. You see, when the Spirit, when the work of God's Spirit is working, there is supernatural things going on. God is involved with his people and with his church and what he wants to accomplish. And as we look at this, we're going to see four vignettes, if you will, of the impact on four groups, two are cities and two are age groups, if you will, in the things of the Lord. Let's stand up and read the first seven verses of chapter 14 to begin our time for an explosive impact as the gospel comes to town. Now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews and so spoke that a great multitude, both of the Jews and of the Greeks, believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. Therefore they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided, part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. And when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them, they become aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding region, and they were preaching the gospel there. Father, we ask now that you would just open our hearts for the understanding of the work of your spirit and your grace through your word, through the ages, through your people. Lord, we pray that you would impact each one of us and that your spirit would stir up the gifts you put inside of each one of us to be used for your glory and furthering your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, the impact in Iconium... They've just ran from a, uh, Antioch of Pisidia. They dusted the, uh, shook the dust off their feet as they were, ran out of town. And this was their, their missionary journey. Come to town, share the gospel, have big revival, then have bigger riot, and then run for their life, basically is how it went. So I want you to know there's, there's nothing new under the sun right now. Our country is uh, going through this earthquake of a cultural change. But what at the root of what is that cultural change? There is this Judeo-Christian ethic that comes from the scriptures that still exists within the population of the United States of America that holds life to be valuable. And then there's a whole, they call themselves progressives. I call them regressives. They're taking us to the caveman days. They're just basically, they have the trappings, but it's just like the child sacrifice of the Old Testament. These people are rabid. Think about it. They're rabid to take the life of precious little kids. It's unbelievable. 
But what is the earthquake within our structure? It's the tension that ultimately is a spiritual battle of the Judeo-Christian ethic that says, no, let's protect life, and a godless society now that is saying, no, we can take life. Even in the state of California, to push it further in the AB uh, 223, which passed in the end of May, and it hasn't been signed by the governor yet, but that they can have infanticide in the state of California. A child can die up to the age of 28 days old, and they may not turn in any of the requirement. And they may not hand over the body to a coroner to exam, examine if there's been any foul play. And if you try to intervene and rescue that child, you personally will be uh, it's called the Thomas Bain Law. You personally will be fined $25,000 for interfering with trying to save that child's life. Only in the state of California. Right? And so, where, where, what is the earthquake and the, the, the structure of these things? Paul the Apostle comes to town, him and Barnabas, and it says in verse 1, it happened in Iconium, they went together to the synagogue of the Jews and so spoke that a great multitude both of Jews and of the Greeks believed. The Holy Spirit was moving through them and their message was so powerful. Many, many people believed. But as soon as those many people believed, because the gospel is a sword that divides. Even Simeon who prophesied to Mary while Jesus uh, was a little child there as he took him in his arms. And he said, and here is one who is destined to divide. Jesus is, he said, don't think I came to bring peace on earth. I came to bring a sword. Because the gospel divides families. It divides communities. Because those who are for him and those who are against him. Because as many people believe, it says in verse 2, the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the, the, them. It's amazing how throughout the ages, even in our lo own local time, the things that people say about Jesus-loving people, isn't it? That in my day, in my hometown, it was that there's a cult in town because people went to church in shorts and flip-flops. Anything they could do to poison the mind of people not to go. The devil is always at work, and they poison their minds. In the story of the incredible missionary Hudson Taylor, he came to town and they began to minister in the way that they didn't like the message of the gospel. So they began to spread lies in the community. Uh, I think it was Zheng Zhao. And they began to spread lies that these foreigners had come to town. They're kidnapping babies, boiling them, and eating them. That was the lie. And so they came to attack the missionaries. You know, they just spread lies. People spread lies and, and poison the minds of people to get them away from the gospel. The devil is a liar, and he's a murderer, and he's a thief. And this is the way he operates. He operates through humans that poison the minds of others. That's why when you see all the stuff on social media against a servant of the Lord, you better check it out a little bit because it's probably bogus. But I love this line, it says, they poisoned the minds against the brethren, therefore they ran. No, therefore they stayed there a long time. They're gonna prove them wrong. <laughs> they're, they're poisoning the minds of the people in the community. They're like, hey, we're gonna stick it out here as long as we can so that they can see. Uh, and they spoke boldly in the Lord. Who is bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands, in verse three. You can say what you want, 
against people, but when you see the genuine work of signs and wonders, people being healed, as we'll see in the next community that they go to, God doing supernatural things, it cuts through all the rhetoric, it comes, cuts through all the lies, and they heard a message of truth and love about Jesus, and then they saw the supernatural. And this is how the Lord worked with the, the apostles. They'd bring the truth, and then he would work with them with signs and wonders, so that that was the stamp of authenticity to their message. And this is very impactful to this community in Iconium. But now the city is reaching a breaking point. It's going to fracture. It's, it's coming apart at the seams. Even as we saw yesterday and today, well, yesterday was called the day of rage, right? Against children being able to live and survive. The day of rage, now it's rolling into today, and they'll take it into the weekend, right? People are on the highways down in, in L.A. You may not want to travel south tonight. Don't go to L.A. <laughs> Stay out of harm's way. The city now is divided in verse 4, but the multitude of the city was divided, part-sided with the Jews. Their minds were poisoned, and part with the apostles, Jesus is Lord. And isn't that the division? that is even happening within some of our relationships. Jesus is Lord and others who would think or castigate or poison the minds of people saying our, uh, all the words that they're using now, I don't know if you, the new Disney movie, uh, Buzz Lightyear, there's uh, a lesbian couple and they kiss in this cartoon. It's been banned in three different nations around the world that are more conservative, Muslim, and different things. And uh, uh, the key character, the actor, Chris Evans, came out and just so hostile towards anybody that would speak up against this, calling anybody that brought about a different morality as dinosaurs. We're these old dinosaurs. Well, call me T-Rex. I guess I, I, I am an old dinosaur. But really, it's not us being archaic in our viewpoint. It's us being messengers of a morality that comes from God. We didn't come up with this morality. We didn't come up with the definition of, of male and female and creation and marriage as the building block of society. God did. And so God has come up with the plan. And so you're going to be called dinosaurs. You're going to be called irrelevant. You're going to call Barbara Streisand as if anybody gets their political cues from Barbara Streisand. Right? She's like, it is the religious dogma of the, of the, uh, in the Supreme Court that's taking America. We're losing the republic. No, we're saving lives. We'll actually grow in population. It'll be amazing. Right? You stop killing 60 million kids over the last 50 years and see what takes place. Well, now the violent attempt happens in verse 5. When a violent attempt was made by both the, Jews, the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding region, and they were preaching the gospel there. So when it comes to the breaking point, and they're now talking about abusing them, beating them, stoning them. They run to the next community. And Jesus said that. When they persecute you in this city, flee to the next city. Go share the gospel there. And they're just fanning the flame. They're just spreading the gospel every community they go to. Now notice this is so important for us to understand as servants of the Lord. Their job was evangelization. God's job is conversion. They just went and said, hey, 
Jesus loves you, died on the cross for your sins, was buried, rose from the dead. Through faith in him, you can have everlasting life. Your sins can be forgiven and make him the Lord of your life. That's the evangel. That's the good news. But it's not our job to convert people. God, that's God's job. He takes the message of the gospel with the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why people get discouraged in sharing their faith often. Hey, I've shared the Lord with five or six of my friends and none of them have converted. None of them have believed. Well, that's not your job. Don't worry about that. Just keep sharing the gospel, keep sharing the gospel. I'm doing my job if I'm sharing the gospel. God will convert people. God will bring people into an understanding of who he is. The Holy Spirit will just open up the hearts and minds of those that the Lord is working in in that unique way to bring about that conversion. But he also honors the will of man. As it says in Acts chapter seven, that Peter's, or excuse me, Stephen says, you do always resist the Holy Spirit, even as your fathers did. You can resist the tug of God. Some of you would have testimonies that when you heard the gospel and the gospel was pulling on you years before your conversion, you resisted. You pushed back. I did at the age of 13 when I heard it and understood it. For the, I mean, very clearly, I was like, oh no, now I know I gotta respond. And I resisted and I hardened my heart against the Lord and went on about my life and my sin. Now the next community, Lystra and Derby, is gonna be a bit more uh, damaging, if you will. Paul the Apostle is gonna leave here with some scars because he's gonna get stoned to the point that the people think he's dead. Now stoned with rocks, not another kind of stoned, which you and I might be familiar with. The second community of impact that Lystra, in verse eight, in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking. Paul observing him intently, seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. Paul's preaching. And as he's preaching away, he looks at this guy. And it says that the, he saw the man had faith to be healed. I don't know what that, looks like on a face, right? That's incredible <laughs> anticipation, that's expectation. He's like, because he's telling about what Jesus did. Jesus raised the dead, Jesus healed the lame, Jesus healed the, the blind, and this guy no doubt is filled with expectation, maybe he can heal me, I've been lame from my mother's womb. Now in those moments that the Holy Spirit, when somebody has a gift of healing, now the apostles have this gift package, if you will, the signs of an apostle are signs and wonders. According to Paul the Apostle in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he said that those signs of an apostle were manifest in me. Not everybody has these gifts. And the, the gift of healing is a part of that package the apostles have. But he didn't go and heal. There might have been somebody else that was lame in the, the, the meeting there. As the Holy Spirit spoke to him and he saw he had faith, he said with a loud voice, he knew in that moment, God's gonna heal this guy. So he tells him to stand up to his, on his feet. Wow, that would blow your mind, wouldn't it, if you knew this guy your whole life, and he's lame, and he heals him? Now when the people saw in verse 11 what Paul had done, they raised their voices saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men, and Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. Then the priests of Zeus, whose temple was in front of their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. Now there's different ways <laughs> 
They're going from being beaten and abused now to being exalted and worshiped. Those are two ends of the spectrum, aren't they? And people are very fickle. You're gonna see at the end of this, he's gonna get stoned. So on, on this one hand, they're ready to worship him because they've never seen a miracle like this. And this specific area of Lyconia had a tradition that Zeus and Hermes, the gods, had come to visit, and nobody would show them hospitality, according to the fable. It's not a biblical truth. It's just their fable, their uh, mythology. And they came to town. Nobody showed them hospitality except an older couple, and they wiped out the whole community, and they had this temple and these, these two trees in front of it, and supposedly that's the representation of those two people. And so they think, oh no, Zeus and Hermes are here again. We're going to honor them. We're not gonna get wiped out by them, and they're gonna worship them. Now when God does something supernatural through a person's life, it is a human tendency to elevate them to an unhealthy degree. I don't care who the person is, that God uses. I don't care who they heal or they raise from the dead or how many people get saved or how powerful their ministry is. That man or that woman is still a man and they are still a woman. They're just average folks like you and me. God does supernatural things through them, so don't elevate them. Having been a minister for a long time and heard a lot of things that over-elevated me and poisoned the minds of others, I jokingly tell people, I'm not as good as some people say I am, and I'm not as bad as others say I am. I'm just an average guy. Now, Paul the Apostle and Barnabas are a little thrown off, and they're a little slow to react, I think, because it says they begin to speak in the Lyconian language, and that's a local dialect that they don't know. And they're saying that they're going to worship. They're gonna, this priest is coming. They're going to sacrifice these oxen. In verse 14, but when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard this, when they finally understood what was going on, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, crying out, saying, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk on their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness, in that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. With these things, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. Now, just two chapters previously, Herod is uh, meeting with some people, and these people are trying to flatter him, because he had on this glorious silver robe, and he gave an oration, he gave a speech, and they began to shout, it's the voice of a God, not a man, the voice of a God. They were just flattering him. But because Herod would not give glory to God and he never corrected them, it says, and the Lord struck him with worms and he died. And uh, Josephus records this as well, that he got sick at, in this moment and died. It's a historical fact. But you don't want to touch God's glory, and you don't want to act like, you know, sometimes I'll hear someone going on and on and on in an exaggerative, elevating way to a person about their ministry, and I just wait for the person to try to bring them back down to earth, and if they don't, I think that's interesting. Why would you not somehow communicate with them that you're just a person, 
Why would you not somehow communicate? When people want to encourage you for God using you, I go, thank you so much for the encouragement because I don't want to, people are trying to encourage you. You don't want to deflect the encouragement. I, I'm so thankful. Thank you for the encouragement. I'm glad that the Lord ministered to you because you and I know the only good thing that's coming from me to anybody else is from the Lord, right? And you and I are in this place together. We're just, we're just average people that love God and his spirit works through us and so they say, hey, they tear their clothes. Look, look we're flesh and bone. <laughs> you know the story, which is a true story of Captain Cook who discovered the Hawaiian Islands. They thought that he was a god. The Hawaiians thought he was a god. And um, he's there and they're honoring him as a god. He's basically going, hey, this is great. Look at how they're catering to me. I'm the god here in the Hawaiian Islands. And then he got in an argument one day with one of the locals and the locals struck him and he bled. And they said, he's a man, not a God. And they fell upon him and they killed him. And so Captain Cook, he, he liked the adulations. Like, hey, you know, hey, I'm a God. I'm getting all this service here on the, the, the islanders are taking good care of me. But the Lord, when he talks to these people in, um, through Barnabas and, and Paul, he shares with them, to the Jews, he takes them to the Old Testament scriptures. But to people that were not Jewish and had no point of reference to the Old Testament, he talks to God, them about the God of creation. He said, hey, God in bygone days, he, he, you know, he overlooked our sins in a sense. And he still was good to us. He, had a, he gave us a, a good witness that he filled our hearts with gladness. He helped us with rain and our crops and various things. And he talked about the God that created the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. You see, whether they're natives that have never heard about this God of the Old Testament or they're Jews, there's a way to reach religious people and there's a way to reach non-religious or they were religious in nature, but more in a pagan way. Romans chapter one says that every single person is without excuse because the testimony of God is evident in creation. Doesn't matter where you're at in the world. You look at creation. And then in chapter two of Romans, he says they are also accountable to God through their conscience. There are two things, because people always wanna ask this question. I, I, I'm fascinated about how interested people are about this guy in the jungle that's never heard the gospel. Have you ever been concerned about him? Have you ever had somebody ask you about, yeah, but what about the guy in the jungle? I'm like, man, everybody I talk to is interested in the guy in the jungle. Surprising we don't have more missionaries. What about the people in the jungle that never heard about I tell them, Romans chapter one says that they know that there's a God through creation, and then they know that there's a God through their conscience, knowing good and evil. So all humans are without excuse from God's perspective because of the creation without and the conscience within. How will he judge? How will God judge the person? How will he judge the person that's never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ? He will judge them according to what they knew and how they behaved, according to the creation around them and their conscience within. Now we have this statement that um, they're gonna go to the hottest place of hell. That insinuates that there's places that are hotter than others. Now, there's not a biblical verse for that, but the closest thing is to it is Jesus, in a, in a parable, he said, he who knew his master's will and did not do it was beaten with many blows. And he who was, did not know his master's will was beaten with few blows. 
that there was a difference. Do you know that the more you know, the more accountable you are? So if you know a lot, that's a little terrifying. When you're a preacher, you know a lot, so it's very terrifying. I, I'm, I'm more accountable because of what I know. And yet, as Paul the Apostle ministers to these people, he takes them to the God of creation. And he wants to point them that this is the God of the creation, is the one that sent this Jesus that he's going to tell them about. It says in verse 19, Then the Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there. People had traveled 80 miles because they were so determined to destroy Paul the Apostle. Antioch's 80 miles from there. In Iconium. And having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. They're going to worship him as a god. These other guys come to town, poison their minds, and they pick up stones, and they stone him. He's unconscious. They suppose that he's dead, dragging, supposing him to be dead. Now, there's some debate here. Some people think he is actually dead, and he rises from the dead. Others, that he just knocked unconscious. They think he's dead. He's no doubt bloodied. If, uh, stoning's a very brutal thing. I mean, it's not like you're, you're in some little <laughs> getting hit with rocks like this. They're as big as your fist to kill you. And we know that the Jews uh, were the central instigators because that's the way the Jews killed people, was through stoning. Paul the Apostle in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 says, I know a man, whether in the body, out of the body, I do not know, that 14 years ago, his, his spirit went into the, the third heaven, the heavens themselves. Some people connect these two. There's a timing problem with that. They don't have to be related because he said, I don't know whether in the body or out of the body. Uh, it was just 14 years ago. And the time that he wrote that 14 years ago is not the right timing for this. But uh, it, it could have been, right? He, he, he could have had this incredible vision at that time. It would be the pits to die, go to the glory of heaven, and then have to come back to planet Earth, from my perspective. It's like, you know, I've always joke that if, if I ever die on stage and you resuscitate me, the first thing I'm going to do is punch you in the mouth. If I die, let me go. <laughs> it's like, arrivederci, we'll see you in heaven. <laughs> I, I have a graduation day coming. I'm not afraid to die. I, the older it's like, the older you get, the more you look forward to a nap. I'm ready for it to happen. Ready to be with the Lord. But Paul here, can you imagine, they drag him out, probably to the garbage heap. They just throw him in a bloody pile and they're standing around him they're praying they're weeping they're they're you know heavy-hearted and Paul just sits up and he does he say let's run for our lives no he goes right back into town now can you imagine him coming right back into town a bloody mess hair ruffled I mean blood everywhere gashes on him and he just comes walking right back into town and he encourages the disciples and then leaves the next day. You know, it's tough to stop a guy that's that, that's that tenacious. It's hard to stop him. Because you see the impact of God's spirit, whether it was in Iconium, they fled because of persecution when they heard about getting stoned. In this case, they were almost worshipped as gods, and they talked the people down, but then ended up getting stoned anyway. Now this concludes this missionary journey for the towns that they impacted, and now they're gonna go back through the towns that they came. Now these last two groups that are impacted, first is the new believers, 
as we see in verse 21. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. That's going right back through the towns that were hostile towards them. And it tells us that they made many disciples and as they returned... Verse 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, now if this verse is not underlined in your Bible, you should underline it, you should highlight it. If you want some real excitement, underline it in your friend's Bible next to you. They may not appreciate that. But it says, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. What, does new, what do new believers need in their life? How are they going to be impacted as this mature Paul the Apostle and this Barnabas come to town? It says in verse 23, So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Now there are four things that these young believers, if you're a new believer, listen up. Because you need to be strengthened in your soul by God's word and God's servants speaking into your life because that's what Paul and Barnabas are doing. They're strengthening the disciples. That's what we're doing here on Saturday night. Even though you might be an older believer, when you come and you worship the Lord and hear his word, there's a strength that happens inside of your soul that is this area that God wants to not only uh, strengthen, but then he wants to exhort them to continue in the faith. That's a motivation, if you will. So I need strength on the inside, but I also need motivation to action because I might be somehow uh, drifting and complacent in my walk with the Lord and I need to be motivated into my faith. And I also need to recognize that, you know what, heaven's a long ways away and between me and heaven is a lot of difficulties. You know, as I started going through difficulties as a young Christian, I was not prepared. I, I had this, it, you know, part of the problem was I had just read, I had just read Norman Vincent Peale's book, The Power of Positive Thinking. And I had read this book, and he uses all these Bible verses basically like pills. You, you quote them so many times in the morning, and, and he uses them more like a lucky charm type of thing. And I was checking that out, and the power of positive thinking. All I have to do is have a positive attitude, and I'll conquer the world type of thing. And then the wheels came off, and my life started falling apart, and I started going through difficulties. Well, I'm like, this book and my life don't match up at all. What's the power of positive thinking? It isn't fixing anything. And I basically threw the book away and said, I think I just need to cling to Jesus and grow in my walk with the Lord and believe his word. You see, because there's lots of difficulties that are coming. In your life, as a young person, and it, it, the trajectory is a long haul, right? If you, you're going you're gonna to get married, and you're going to have tribulation and difficulties in your marriage. Why? You go, oh, you're a prophet. You know I'm No, I, I, I'm a man, right? And, and when a husband and a wife, two, two selfish creatures, get married, and the Lord says, now, figure this out for the rest of your life under one roof, and you have different desires and different inclinations, and those things are missing each other, uh, that's a built-in conflict of tribulation you're going to have for the rest of your life. So exciting. It's what we call a stormy romance, okay? And I'm a happily married man. I, I love my wife. It doesn't mean that you don't have difficulties as you try to figure things out. 
and your temperaments and your understanding and communication and there's a lot to it. And I meet these young people and oh, I love Jesus and I'm just filled with God's love but I just, I know I'll be complete when I get married and I always smile, gee, you don't have a clue, dude. You have no idea what kind of sanctification's coming your way through the process of marriage. Did you know it's not God, God is not, his calling on your life is not to happiness but to holiness and he's gonna use a relationship to die to yourself to love and serve one another to grow in that relationship. That's just the way it works. And then people go, oh, you know, we, we have each other, we just have this one, but we know that when we have children, our life's gonna be complete. <laughs> okay, round two of sanctification. Now you're gonna serve these, these little kids for the next 25 years of their life. You're gonna pour your life in. And you went from this, you know, romance, now that, you know, we're taking care of these kids and we have sleepless nights and we just, you know, every, the money and the, you're getting wiped out. You're just like exhausted and you, you look at each other from across the room and like, I used to know you, who are you? You know, for the spouse and the kids, they, they just, they're like little piranhas. They just like eat up all your energy and your, your, your life. And, and it's great. It's a great journey with Jesus in the middle of it. But you see, at each turn, the human is thinking in his mind, I know that when this happens, I'm going to be complete. I know when I go to heaven, it will be complete. But we must enter that kingdom of heaven through much tribulation, much challenges, much difficulties, health challenges, relationship challenges, work challenges, financial challenges, Whatever it might be, we have all these challenges, and they're all between us and our finish line of heaven. And every believer needs to be reminded, Paul the Apostle and Barnabas are not coming just with rainbows and unicorns for happiness. They're saying, you guys, hey, life's tough. Jesus is Lord, and it's all good, and you're gonna grow through this process, and you're gonna be strengthened and you're gonna be better people for it. I mean, honestly, marriage has changed me to make me a better man. My wife has, makes me a better man. Because without those challenging relationships, I would just drift towards my own selfishness and I don't have to grow. I just get to do whatever I wanna do, right? I don't, I don't have to grow. I don't have to serve anybody else, let alone throw a, you know, a couple of kids in the mix. Why do I gotta serve them? And all these things, Jesus can bring love and joy and peace through relationship with him in the midst of this so that you can make it. Make it across the finish line. So we need that exhortation. They also appointed elders and prayed and fasted so that they had organization because they needed leaders to step up and then they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. You see, all I can do for someone is share the gospel with them. I can strengthen them. I can exhort them. I can bring that kind of discipleship to them. But at the end of the day, I have to commend them to God's grace. What's that mean? That means that they have to walk with God. I can't do it for them. They have to carry their own backpack. They have to step up. Have you ever gotten in this place where you're just trying to help someone so much that you're actually hurting them? You have to commend them to the grace of God. That means to hand them over and trust God's gonna work in their life. And they did that church after church after church. And lastly, as we wrap it up, the impact to mature believers is mature believers need to see the excitement of new believers coming into the fold. 
That's what we need. In verse 24, and after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. Now when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Atom, uh, that town. And from there, they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. Notice that. They'd been commended to the word of his grace. They've completed the work that God sent them on this one-year missionary journey. In one year, they traveled 600 miles by uh, road, by walking, 600 miles by boat. So they've traveled 1,200 miles in the ancient world of travel, mind-blowing, right? They're walking from uh, 20 to 40 to 50 miles between towns to go preach the gospel. And they completed this work. They make a full circle. They come back in verse 27. Now when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So they stayed there a long time with the disciples. They got the whole church together and they told them everything that God did in that one year. And the older believers that sent them out, the mature believers, rejoiced that God had done such a work through these servants. You see, as we grow and we get strong, the goal is to turn around and see others come into the kingdom, to see others minister, to somehow help with that process. And that's what happens to older believers that are not seeing the conversion of new believers or seeing the church planting going on is they get stagnant. We need an opportunity. We need an outlet to send people out. We need outlets to see new believers. There's nothing more exciting to me than hanging out with a new believer and those, all, the, all the great questions that I had as a new believer and hearing them all over again. It just refreshes you. You're like, I forgot. Everybody doesn't know this, right? You remember being a new believer and just being freaked out when they said, okay, turn to Nehemiah chapter 3 in your Bible. And you got a Bible in your lap, and it's so new it creaks when it opens. You're a brand new Christian, and you're looking to the person to the left and right, and you're hoping maybe their page number, you know, it works out to your, it doesn't, because it's a different translation or something. Right? You're, you're embarrassed that you don't know where Nehemiah chapter 3 is. We don't know anything. And yet we have these older believers that begin to pour into us. I was a Christian for about a year, maybe two years, and... Uh, we got involved with this church in our hometown at Calvary Chapel, and we had been there a week or two, and they said, we need volunteers for our uh, Bible land for Halloween. And so they would do these like eight to 10 Bible sets. They would tell a Bible story that people would be in character with little sets that they've uh, designed. And at the end of the Bible story, they'd give the kids candy. And at the very last one, they'd share the gospel that Jesus loves you and died on the cross. And it was great, Bible land. So they said they needed volunteers. So I showed up. I was going to, you know, can I paint something, basically, because I, I didn't know very much about the Bible. And uh, the, the pastor was working. He was a very creative type. He was drawing these stones on cardboard, and it was going to be Nehemiah. And, and he said, hey, I'm, I'm doing this set for Nehemiah. I don't know. I'm like, Nehemiah? I don't know who Nehemiah is. I'm a young Christian. And he said, you want to be Nehemiah? I said, I don't even know who Nehemiah was or is. And he goes, well, go home tonight. Read the book of Nehemiah. And then you'll know what it's all about. And then you're, on Halloween, you're going to be Nehemiah. And he said, at the end, and he had this brick uh, that he had designed. And you put candy in. He said, then you're going to sh share the, the story and the candy with the kids. And I'm like, well, I can pull that off, right? So I went home and I read the book of Nehemiah, and then I went and played it at the Halloween thing, and this pastor just began to, like, I would just go see him and hang out with him, and he would give me these challenges 
We did a mission trip down to Mexico. We're walking around the, by the Colorado River, and he just starts, now by this time, it's been about a year and a half, and I've been reading my Bible from cover to cover. Just, and, and he just starts, my brother and I are together, and he starts asking us questions. Hey, what about this? And I would give the answer. And what about this? My brother would give the answer. And he was quizzing us to know he was getting ready to ask me if I was going to be a deacon of the church, but he was testing my biblical knowledge, and I had been just reading God's word. But you see, the older believer needs the excitement of seeing the younger believer grow in his walk of the Lord and in his service to the Lord. Get involved somehow in giving back to see people move forward in their walk with God, however that is. The power of God's spirit in the gospel moving through Paul and Barnabas, through this town of Iconium, through the town of Lystra and Derby, where he was stoned, and then into these new believers' lives to strengthen them and exhort them that we must enter the kingdom of God through many tribulations. We are not on a playground. We are on a battlefield in the spiritual life. It is not a playground. It is for real. And the devil who comes to steal, kill, and destroy, Peter tells us, he's trying to make us aware. He says, be prayerful and diligent Vigilant, because the devil goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. I was just reading the article this morning in the, the news that this guy was at this yacht club in Florida, and an 11-foot alligator uh, ate him up, killed him. And he's, I'm like, you go to the yacht club for drinks, you go for a swim, and, and the 11-foot alligator, I don't think that was on his, uh, I, I doubt if that's like a, in the membership manual, right, for the country club to be eaten by an 11-foot alligator. And he was just, you know, cruising along, hey, I think I'll go for a swim. (laughs) And, And that understanding that we are in a real spiritual battle to be strengthened in our walk with the Lord, but we're more than conquerors in Christ. You know, there's a beautiful picture that I love about going through the tribulation, because I don't know where you're going through right now. Maybe you're facing some things. You're facing some things in your health, or you're facing financial or relational struggles. You remember when the disciples thought they were going to drown in the storm, and they were just terrified they were going to drown in the storm, and then they see Jesus coming, walking on the water. And the picture there, to me, that he's going to say, calm, be still, right? He's going to get into the boat. But though the waves were over the disciples' heads, those waves were under Jesus' feet. Never forget that. Though the waves are are over my head, I feel overwhelmed, I I don't know what to do with this struggle I'm going through, it's over my head, but it's still under Jesus' feet. He is Lord of that situation, and he can bring peace and calm to your soul. And so may the Lord bring that to our hearts tonight to strengthen us as we move forward in whatever the challenges are this week in our lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love and your grace. Pray that you would build us up in your spirit, that you would build us up in your word. I just pray for those who are really facing some hard things, that you would reveal your kindness and love to them tonight through the message, through your spirit. Bring your touch of healing. Bring strength and perseverance through the tribulation, Lord that you are Lord. And Lord, we ask that you would bring, uh, Lord, that you would rebuke the wind and the waves and the storms in our lives. 
to bring that calm and peace. We worship you because you are the only one that can, and you're worthy of all of our praise. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Light in the darkness, I want hope for the hopeless and rest for the weary mind. And you've got truth for the taking, but my heart won't be shaken if today be the day that I die. Whoa, 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 whoa. Time's trouble. I keep my heart seeking you. Oh, I will keep my heart seeking you. Whoa, 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 I will keep my heart seeking